Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever, and we are here again answering your questions. So thank you for posting all of your questions via my Instagram and Facebook page, as well as via our email, chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. So I'm going to bring in producer Sanford to ask me your questions, and I'm really excited to go through them with you. Hello. We got a lot of questions for this episode, which is really, really great. So uh, the first question we're going to do, Juliana, actually uh, came from Instagram, but it also came from our trusted, trusty, trusty, trusted producer, Adam, who's so lovely and delightful. Adam, would you like to ask the first question? Oh, well, it would be my pleasure. Hello, everybody. And Sanford and Juliana. Our first question comes, as you said, from two people, not only me, but also from Instagram, at Sharon Vitulo, who had a question about protein, specifically, how in the heck do we get it on a plant-based diet? Now, I don't know if that was tongue-in-cheek. My question certainly was not, simply because a lot of times I associate protein with dairy and meat. And I'm not as knowledgeable here as you are. So help me out. Yes. Well, thank you for asking both you, producer Adam and Sharon, as this is a very common question. And it's kind of the question that will not go away because everyone is on this persistent pursuit of protein. If you go to gyms, if you go to your doctor, if you go, everyone is always looking for protein. So there's a lot to dispel here. And some might be a little bit surprising if you haven't heard this before. First of all, all protein comes from plants. Basically, every single plant contains every single amino acid. Now, an amino acid is basically the breakdown product of protein. So you don't just eat a piece of meat and it goes onto a muscle. Like you don't just absorb it right into your muscle. It doesn't work like that. Your body breaks it down into peptides and then amino acids, and then it strings them back together. Like we like to think of amino acids as letters, and then you put them together into words, which would be the protein strands. So, you know, you you take in some protein from wherever you get it from, and your body breaks it down, and it turns it back into, oh, let's say it needs to build a fingernail today, or it needs to work on a, a, a new taste bud cell, or whatever, because basically all of your body requires amino acids, so there's definitely important However, just because something's good doesn't mean more is better. So the first myth to, dis- to dispel is that you can't get them from plants because the, way, the place that animals get proteins and amino acids are from those plants. You're just getting it down the food chain or up the food chain where they've already kind of converted them into these proteins and you have to do the same thing and break them down again. So there's that, there's that element. The second thing is that just because something is good doesn't mean more is better. We need some Amino acids, of course, some of them are essential. There's only a few of the 20 amino acids that are essential. About nine of them are essential, meaning we can't make them in our body. So we have to get them from our food. We can absolutely get them from plant foods. And, you know, again, the more is better is really important because what we're seeing in the health span and longevity research is that less is more. And we actually are seeing that a reduction in amino acids, especially the essential amino acids, may increase longevity and decrease risk for chronic diseases. So that's kind of interesting, right? That we they studied these rhesus macaque monkeys and they found that those monkeys that ate less food did better. They lived longer, they lived healthier. So it's kind of interesting to think about it as a less is more model as opposed to this, where do we get more, 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 more? 
the third myth that I really want to dispel is that protein does not equal meat. You can get this. And of course, you I always go to my six daily threes. So if you're consuming a nice whole food plant-based diet, not one that's rich in a lot of refined foods, like if you're eating a diet of just say flour and sugar and oil, it's going to be hard to get all of your nutrition. But if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, a diet based on vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices in infinite tasty combinations, you can't not get enough protein. I don't see protein deficiency if you're getting adequate calorie. So you're getting enough, you're eating whole foods, you're going to get ample protein and you don't really need to worry about it. You should always be focusing on eating as whole and as wholesome as you possibly can. Does that answer your question, Adam? I've heard that string of food groups or nutrients or ingredients before. I kind of want to put it on a t-shirt. So uh, thanks for that. Wait, Adam, I keep wanting, I want Juliana, I want to know, Juliana, how many times a day do you say that list? Not enough. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's so simple. Like we're trying to make everything so complicated. Like how many macros, low carb, high carb, high fat, low fat. What, What does that even mean? It means nothing, nothing. So let's just talk about foods. And those are the foods that I, I recommend eating. Oh, and back to the six daily threes. If you think about how do you prioritize those foods, it's important to get three servings a day of legumes. So beans, lentils, uh, peas, hummus should be a food group, soy foods, those count as legumes. So you want to have about one, one and a half cups a day. And then nuts and seeds, about one to two ounces or 30 to 40 grams a day. That's going to get you all of those even unique amino acids that may be a little bit more, you know, harder to find. You're going to get plenty of them if you do that. And by the way, lettuce and kale has protein. Broccoli has protein. Everything that you eat that's whole food contains protein. So you don't need to worry. Um, I would like to concur with Adam. I think we should start a merch shop and I think we should put that on a t-shirt. And also Juliana, no joke. I'm not even saying this to be funny. Last night I had black beans with my dinner and I thought of you. No joke. I'm very proud of you. I had peas for lunch and I thought of you and then I mixed it with a big bowl of spaghetti and I forgot you. (laughs) I eat spaghetti, Adam. You can uh, eat okay, spaghetti. Right, that's good. It's just that that's more of that flour and sugar than you were talking about a little bit before. A little bit more. Time to say for everyone to hear, we are just one little happy family here, which <laughs> I love. Okay, here we go. Next question. Um, this came from Instagram at CavMom918. Um, CavMom918 wants to know, should we take a DHA supplement because there's so much conflicting information? So First thing, before you answer that, can you actually explain to us what a DHA supplement is and what it might do or not do for us? So that's a very good question. And DHA, I'm going to use my fun words and my fun vocabulary, stands for docosahexaenoic acid. Now, I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible because it can get really complicated and biochemistry oriented when you talk about omega-3 fatty acids. So back to the bird's eye view, we only need two types of fats in our diet, the omega-3s and omega-6. Those are essential in our diet. Now, on a plant-based diet, we're getting our omega-3 fatty acids because by the way, omega-6 is everywhere, too easy to get. It's it's not a problem. Omega-3s are a little bit more tricky. So on a plant-based diet, we get our omega-3 fatty acids from something called alpha-linolenic acid or ALA. And then our body, as brilliant as it is, it converts it. It elongates that molecule into EPA, 
acosapentaenoic acid, and then again elongates it further into DHA, docosahexaenoic acid. Now, you hear a lot of people taking fish oil supplements. That's what this is. Basically, the fish take in the microalgae from the ocean, and it converts it and elongates it into EPA and DHA. Now, we need all of those different forms. So people on a plant-based diet, of course, tend to have lower levels of the longer chain ones because we're responsible for converting it. We're not using the middle fish to convert it for us. So do we need to supplement? That is a good question. And there is some conflicting information, just like at CAVMOM918 said. So what we suggest as plant-based dietitians out there have kind of come to, most of us agree, and I recommend, I know I recommend a microalgae supplement. So that looks like you're getting the microalgae directly from the microalgae as opposed to through the fish themselves. And um, do we need it? Perhaps. The research seems to be, we don't know yet, because plant-based eaters also have a lower risk for cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's, which are associated with this nutrient. So it's a good question. I do recommend a microalgae supplement. I don't think it's, you know, I don't know if, I don't think it's dangerous. I don't think it's necessary for sure, but it's like, why not? Because it's available. They're really widely available now. So it's one of the things that I actually actually do recommend. I take it myself and um, I make sure I get a formula with both EPA and DHA and not just a DHA formula. So that's what I recommend. And so so you're saying fish oil, if if we take fish oil, we're sort of meeting that need with like with something like fish oil? So the difference between the microalgae formula and the fish oil is that you, you're going to have less risk for pollutants because the fish are in our oceans and our oceans are our dumping ground and it's horrible what's in our oceans now. I mean, the mercury, but there's also PCBs and dioxin and all sorts of crazy compounds and chemicals that it's impossible to filter all of it out. There's all these types of filtration systems that these fish oil companies have, but when they're randomly tested, they tend to seem to also continue to have these pollutants in them. So why cut, why not cut out the middle fish and go directly to the microalgae like the fish are preferring themselves? So mm-hmm. do as the fish do, go directly to the say, source. Whenever you say the word omega, I think of revenge of the nerds. And if anyone out there <laughs> is old enough to remember that, good for you. Okay. Very good. Okay. That's 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 before Adam's time, I think. Probably. I think Adam knows. Yeah, I think it is. I, I'm still stuck on cut out the middle fish. I like that. <laughs> that's another that's another shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's another shirt for the merch store. Okay. All right, here we go. Next question is from Facebook from Daniel Gemmel. Daniel, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel would like to know uh, your thoughts and opinion on intermittent fasting. Which you and I have actually, I you because one, I, I approached you once about helping me with with diet. I don't know if what I'm about to say is true, actually, but I feel like you and I have talked about intermittent fasting before. Can you explain to everybody what it is, and then talk about what you think about it? Yes, this has become quite the fad, and it's kind of a it's a trend right now. But this is one of the probably one of the very first trends or fads that I actually support wholeheartedly because the research is quite extraordinary. So we're learning more and more about what it means. And intermittent fasting can be mean all sorts of things. And people have different interpretations. Like, do you eat 12 hours and not eat 12 hours? Do you eat 18 hours and not six hours? I like to think of it as time-restricted feeding. I like that term better because it makes it's what we kind of talk about in the literature. So meaning that you're taking some time off of eating. So I just even had a client today. I always have these clients that come to me for the first time and they're eating throughout the day, which is, by the way, as a personal trainer, as a dietitian in nutrition school, that is what I was taught is you have to keep your metabolism on fire. You have to keep eating, blah, blah, blah. But it's not true. 
from the first, from the last swallow of your food, it takes four to six hours to process that food. During that time, your body shunts energy and blood to the digestion process because it's really intensive. It takes a lot of work for the body. That means it's taking time away from other metabolic house cleaning that's super important, like getting rid of cancer cells and viruses and like, you know, all the other detoxification processes that need to take place in the body. So it's really good to have time off of the fed state. So whether you do it, you know, in 18-6 or 12-12 or even I, some, I like best eating once a day, which if you told me this five years ago, I would have thought that was insane. I've gotten used to it. You get used to anything. Your body can adapt to anything. But the research is very supportive of the long-term benefits of time-restricted feeding or eating. And so I recommend it. I, I practice it myself. I love it. It's helped so many of my clients. It helps me with my GI, try my clients with GI, like digestion with uh, weight management, with all sorts of things. You know, it's a little, you have to be more thoughtful about what you're eating and make sure, you know, everybody counts, but it's something that can be extraordinarily helpful. And the health span evidence, again, supports that. Like I said before, you know, eating less may be more, and this is a way to eat less on a regular basis. And uh, it just makes, it makes it, it's kind of an easy way to little, to package it up together and just eat less often. Serious question with, with intermittent fasting. Is snacking allowed? But I don't even call it snacks. I don't even, my books don't have breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks anymore. So because it doesn't mean anything, it's just a meal. And so every time you eat from that last swallow, four to six hours. So someone eats, let's say they have an 8 a.m. breakfast and then they're still digesting. And in the middle of that, they're going to eat again. So the, all that whole hormonal cascade that has to take place from that first bite of food all the way to the end it's this constant flow. And so it's nice to just have a complete stop. It's really good for circadian clocks to stop earlier. So you sleep on an empty stomach, then your body could do all sorts of brilliant things about taking care of, you know, everything. So you could have a nice, a nice actual rest. It's just really good for your whole body to take some time off of that state. Fascinating. Just fascinating. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. Okay. Next question is also from Facebook. Uh, this question is from Lynn Simon. And this is what Lynn says. She says, my B12 tests are always over 2,000. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do well with this word, so you're going to have to help me. But homocysteine level is good. Did I say that correctly? Perfect. Okay. Um, isn't extra B12 excreted? Is too much B12 a concern? So my question before you get into Lynn's question is, can you just explain to us all things B12, why we need it? And then let's let's go into uh, Lynn's question. So vitamin B12, I always call the most finicky vitamin with an attitude problem. We need it. It's very important. It's important for neurological function. <laughs> you guys are laughing at me. I can see you. <laughs> it's important for neurological function. It's important for all sorts of things. We need it. It's an essential vitamin. Now, B12 is made in the soil by microorganisms and then animals eat it. And now we are in this new society where we clean our produce and we don't like to drink out of streams and we have a very sterilized environment. So it's a little bit more challenging to get the B12 first. Secondly, the reason it's so finicky is because it really requires a certain dose because we need intrinsic factor, which is from our stomach to absorb it. So all these different factors come into play and it's a really difficult vitamin to make sure you're getting. So much so that there are at-risk populations for deficiency. There are vegans, vegetarians are at risk for deficiency because we're not getting a direct source because we're not eating animal products. And anyone over the age of 50 
needs to supplement B12, believe it or not. Even if you're eating meat, anyone with a gastrointestinal problem, any kind of digestive issue also needs to supplement with B12. Basically, we need a direct source. So that said, specifically to a plant-based diet or anyone in those categories that I mentioned needs to be very mindful of this nutrient. Now, here's why it gets even more finicky and has an attitude problem because in the blood work itself, it's tricky. It doesn't show up until it's too late. Sometimes five or 10 years, you could hold on to B12. So you look at your numbers and they're not accurate assessment of what's really going on real time in your body. Weird. So you may think you're fine and then you're like, oh, well, I'm on a pure healthy diet, so I don't need to take B12. And then boom, you end up with potentially irreversible neurological damage. And I'm telling you, I have seen this. I have seen this. It is real. So avoid that supplement. The cool thing is, is it's water soluble. So you can't overdose on it. In fact, I'm going to answer Lynn's question with that. The reason your levels look high is because if you test B12, it's not an accurate assessment. It's basically measuring what you're taking in. So you're obviously supplementing. So you're a plant-based eater that's supplementing, which is great. And you're saying that your homocysteine is good, which is important too, because homocysteine levels could be off. And that is a concern with B12 deficiency as well. So if you have high levels in your blood, it's not a problem because the Institute of Medicine doesn't even have an upper limit for B12 because it's such a low potential for toxicity. Yes, you will excrete excess. And the Institute of Medicine states, no adverse effects have been associated with excess B12 intake from food and supplements in healthy individuals. So you're better off to be safe, not sorry. I have on my website, plant-based dietitian, the dosing regimens that are ideal for this finicky vitamin. It's either, I'll just say it now, you could either do 50 micrograms twice a day, 150 micrograms once a day, or 2,500 micrograms once a week if you like to take fewer pills, which most people do. So that's all on my website, so you can look it up. And um, so you're doing good, Lynn, and you're better safe to take enough, make sure you're getting enough of B12, and rather than um, worrying about getting too much. You really can't. Interesting. Um, hey, Adam, I think we have another t-shirt. How would you describe describe B12 again one more time for us, please, Juliana? Vitamin B12 is the most finicky vitamin with an attitude problem. I think that needs to go on a t-shirt as well. <laughs> the letter B makes for a great cartoon character. I'm seeing some furrowed eyebrows in our future. Oh, cute. Hi. There's so much potential. There's so much we can do with the choose you now. I swear to God. Okay, here we go. Last question. This last question came from um, Instagram uh, from two people um, at Kelly Farewell and at Doina Pengilly. And again, I apologize if I've if I've wrecked that name. They want to know about hair loss and a plant based diet and how to promote hair growth. I thought this was a really really interesting question. Well, I'm actually really excited to finally address this because I can't tell you how many times I've gotten this question a lot. People always ask me that. So there's a lot to say. So bear with me because it's kind of exciting. So as uh, yeah, as someone who is like, you know, a little bit, I care about my hair too. And I want to make sure that all of you out there that are having some issues with it can address this. And it's multifactorial. So first of all, 
hair is like a luxury because if you think about it, our body prioritizes, our bodies are brilliant and our body prioritizes things it needs to take care of. Like I'm saying digestion, like give some time off of digestion so the body could do other things. So hair is just kind of like, yeah, we're doing good. We've got enough in the world. And so we could have some extra hair. And you'll notice that when times of abundance, we grow extra hair and nails. We tend to do really well with that. So as a woman who has had two children and as a woman who has got, has lost, I had to lose 10 or 12 pounds one time, or a couple of times I've had to do that, both of those things and stress and malnutrition or eating disorders, all of those things can contribute to excessive hair loss. So we're supposed to lose about, it's estimated about 50 to 100 hairs a day. Now, if you have longer hair, you're going to notice it more. If you wash your hair less frequently, you'll notice a bit more coming out at a time. So there's a lot of subjective parts of this to, that comes to the equation. Okay. So that's it. If you're not trying to lose weight, cause it's, oh my gosh, I do a lot of weight loss with my clients. I have a weight loss support group. I have a lot of clients going through weight loss. And this question comes up all the time because it's so common. Now the good news is after you recover and you go back to maintenance mode, your hair does come back. It grows back thick again. So not to worry, but let's talk about all the interesting things nutrition wise. There is some research that shows that these nutrients promote hair growth. So capsaicin, which I think explains why I've recently had a lot of hair growth because I've been eating a lot of hot sauce, <laughs> a lot of spicy everything. And so hot sauce, capsaicin, you know, bell peppers, red red peppers, not bell peppers, but mostly bell, red peppers and um, hot sauce, which is what I put on everything. So I think that has been linked to hair growth. So have isoflavones, which is a compound found in soy, and especially something like tofu. So you can get it from there as well. There's research showing that that, in fact, that capsaicin and isoflavones together can increase uh, IGF-1, which is a whole other thing, which contradicts everything I said about eating less and protein and all that before. But again, abundance equals hair growth, right? Restriction equals hair loss and prioritization of muscles and, and organs and stuff like that. Okay. Other nutrients that matter. Uh, omega-3 fatty acids, which we just talked about. So go back to the ALA sources. So you get that from the microalgae formula if you're supplementing, but you could also get it from chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts, soy foods again. By the way, I should go back to that. Um, if you are getting, if you don't want to take a microalgae formula, I should have said this before, but I'll say this now because it's apropos both places. You could just eat more of the ALA rich foods, the ones I just mentioned, chia, flax seeds, hemp seed, walnuts, soy food. So that's another way to get more of your omega-3s. Okay. Other nutrients that are linked, you want to make sure your iodine status is good. And that means most adults are not getting their, their iodine. Your adults need about 150 micrograms of iodine. So that's important for hair health. The essential amino acids, L-lysine and valine are also important. And again, we're talking about not getting too much protein. It's, it's interesting, right? We're talking about abundance versus like health span. And it's interesting that those two seem to be opposite. And we could have a whole episode and we should have some longevity experts on here because this is one of my favorite subjects and it's so interesting. You have to prioritize. Um, yeah. So where are you in your life and what are your goals? So uh, foods that are high in lysine are like soy again, other beans and lentils. And then foods that are high in valine would be stuff like mushrooms, beans, peas, greens, sunflower seeds, and pumpkin seeds. Two more. One would be your vitamin D status. So make sure your vitamin D levels are normal. We are seeing a worldwide deficiency of vitamin D. So you want to make sure with the blood work, because that's not like B12, that's actually fat soluble nutrients. So you want to check it to make sure. 
And then um, the last one, and you want to get your vitamin D from the sun, ideally. That's And if you're low, then you'll probably need to supplement. But check that to make sure what your number is. Finally, I would say to pay attention to vitamin C because that's that helps with collagen production, which is important for your hair and nails. And so where do we get vitamin C? It always goes back to eating your fruits and vegetables. So bell peppers, chili peppers are the highest so are most fruits, especially strawberries, citrus, tomatoes, and then other veggies that are high in vitamin C are kale, broccoli, and Brussels sprouts. Again, if you guys go to my six daily threes, I have videos, it's on my website, six daily threes, you're going to see all of these questions answered with getting your legumes, your nuts and seeds, your veggies, your fruits, your leafy green veggies, and mushrooms. Like Those things are going to help with hair, longevity, health span, all of the above can be answered in all of those simple things, and just eating a diet of whole plant foods. Wait, give us give us the list one more time. I was going to, but I didn't want to be gratuitous, so thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, come on, do it. <laughs> I want you to eat vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices, and infinite tasty combinations. And you want us to eat the rainbow. Eat the rainbow. Oh, and by the way, back to hair real quick. There are some other fun things you could do on the side exogenously, like, you know, using rosemary oil or using coconut oil in your hair. Don't consume coconut oil, but on your hair. And there's things that you could do, like making sure you use the right kinds of shampoos and conditioners, making sure you're using very natural ingredients, things like that also can help, but it really is important to start from within. And give yourself and your hair some leafy green love. Yes, Sanford. Leafy green love for everyone. I agree. I love that. If I can, if I can just add one more very quick thing, um, y'all can't see it, but Adam is wearing a green T-shirt today, it's, and I think he because, did it in honor yeah. of Juliana. That's right. So that's Aww. it. Those are our questions for this episode. That was great. Well, thank you, thank you all so much for your questions, and thank you for being here today with us. And if you're inspired and enjoy this Choose You Now podcast, please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with more questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love. <laughs>